My goodness, we talk about the benefits of protein all the time. And what do I tell you? Without adequate amounts of protein, your body is going to break down your muscle tissue. It's gonna seal it from your hair. And today, Betty and I deep dive once again. We're coming back together because we love talking about all this stuff. And I hope you love her as much as I do. We are deep diving into the world of protein. She's bringing her science research mind into the mix. And I want you to pen and paper this one because I want all of you to be increasing your protein intake. It has to be protein first. If you don't put protein first in your life, on your plate, into your mouth, you are missing out on a host of benefits for your health, including anti-aging, muscle preservation, improved energy, improved fat loss. So listen up take notes and put more protein into your life, please. All right, Betty, here we are back again, talking about a topic that I am so passionate about. And it just bears repeating. It bears talking about in, in different ways, talking about it with different guests, the importance of protein and even really the detrimental effects of not getting in enough protein. So Let's dive into this once again. Let's get a little bit pissed off at the misinformation out there and let's tell people what they really need to do. And if they don't do it, what the effects are going to be. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, we, for years we misaligned, you know, fats and fats were the demon and you can't have fats. And so that's now obviously not the case. Generally your carbohydrates, we can survive without, and there are healthy ones that contain all our polyphenols and things like that. But I don't think as a macro, anything could be more misunderstood than proteins, the protein source, whether I'm getting them from animal sources or vegetarian sources, and whether those equate to equality or not. And then there's all the supplemental forms like free form amino acids, and do you do those and do you not do those and who should and who shouldn't. And I think there's still a, a ton of confusion. And sometimes I think that it can be a matter of timing and what therapeutic things we're doing that we need to do. But I would say generally across the board, the women that I speak to in particular are generally under eating protein. You know, like they're like barely eking. I, I'm doing 50 grams a day. I'm like, well, according to the FDA, you are already deficient. <laughs> That's a problem. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm sure you see that. I see that all the time. So what I'll do is, I, I mean, you and I coming from the bodybuilding background, we can do this in our sleep. We can totally add it up in our heads. So I'll look at that, you know, three-day food journal that a person will keep track of. And, you know, they're all proud because they have two eggs for breakfast and they have a piece of chicken for dinner and maybe a yogurt during the day. And they go, yeah, I get enough protein. I'm like, yeah, that's totally enough protein to keep you alive. But you're complaining about hair loss. You're complaining about muscle loss. You're complaining about your metabolism. You can't lose weight. You don't have energy. And all of that is dependent on protein intake. So you're giving your body just enough for your heart, which is a muscle, to beat, basically. If you're not getting that much, and remember, our bodies are so smart. Our bodies are smarter than we are. I like to say that. Because our bodies will do things that maybe we don't want them to do, but they're going to do them anyways. Our bodies will break down the sources of amino acids, i.e. your muscles, your hair, 
they will break it down to obtain the amino acids needed for survival. So if you're not taking them in, your body's going to get it somewhere and it's called catabolism. It's eating away your own muscle tissue. So that's where we start with protein. And yes, I absolutely see it low uh, across the board, mainly with women. Yes, it happens with guys too, but mainly with women. And then of course, I don't even want to say in the aging population, honestly, over 40, over the age of 40, I start to see women start to drop down their protein intake for whatever reason. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I think it's also people fall subject to marketing. You know, they're like, I'm having this yogurt or I love it. They'll go, I get my protein and cheese. I'm like, uh, sweet pea. That, peanut butter. that is a fat that happens to contain a slight bit of protein in it, you know, or not peanut butter. I'm like, that, that's not an equivalent. It's not really an equivalent. Yes, you can find some amino acids in that food, but it is usually not equivalent, you know, and I get it. I, in a perfect world, I wouldn't eat animals. I love animals, but we're on the top of the food chain and we have to eat animals, right? In order to really be truly, truly healthy, you know, and that's probably a whole nother discussion. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but, you know, animal proteins are the only ones that have all the essential amino acids that we must get all in one nice and easy package in order for us to get what we need. And it's just, it's just the reality of it. And I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of times it's women just, they're like, I don't want to cook it. And especially by the time you get to my age group where, you know, kids are possibly out of the house, you know, for the first time women are like, damn, I just don't want to cook for anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And Hey, listen, I I totally respect that. You don't want to cook for anybody get a factor meal, get get something that has already pre-made protein in it and eat that yourself. There shouldn't be an excuse just because you don't want to cook. Well, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat pasta instead? Are you going to just eat, you know, a, a bag of crackers and cheese? No, you have to still be conscious about what you put into your mouth and as well as obviously the rest of your family. So if your goal, and let's really hit on just like I mentioned earlier, those those side effects of not getting in enough protein that I don't really think women piece together. Weight is a big one. Your metabolism will drop because there is a certain thermic effect of food. And we know that protein has a little bit of, of, a, of a higher TEF, meaning when you eat it, your body's going to work a little bit harder to burn it. So that's part one. And there's not a huge difference between proteins, carbs, and fats, but there there are differences. In addition, when you are taking in protein, like Betty said, the complete amino acid profile, that's what your muscles need. And specifically leucine, that's what your body really needs as an amino acid that your muscles need to grow. And I'm not talking about growing and looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, female bodybuilder. I just mean to grow that lean, sexy, metabolically active muscle tissue that A, definitely makes you look better. I mean, you don't want to be skinny and flabby and having your skin hang off of you. You want to be nice and shapely and athletic looking and have the curves. You might not have JLo's butt, but you're going to have a really nice behind as you walk away. That is a muscle. Your butt is a muscle. And in order to have that nice shape, you have to be feeding those muscles to give them the the quality amino acids to be able to grow. Next up is just basic fat burning. Because I said earlier, protein 
and muscle is metabolically active, you're going to have increased metabolism when you take in enough protein. You're actually going to have a better metabolism. So you're going to burn more body fat when you're taking in adequate amounts of protein. The other one is hair. I know many of you struggle with hair loss. That's a big one. And then I'm going to touch on the energy component because I have a story to go along with it. I have a patient that reached out to me and she's, we're, we're optimizing her thyroid and hormones. We, we have everything going. We've been going for a couple months, feeling really good. Her energy is up because we know low energy accompanies low thyroid function. So we have her thyroid back online. That's looking picture perfect. Her hormones are coming up and she reaches out to me. She's like, you know, all of a sudden I'm just hitting that wall again and I'm really, really fatigued. And I'm wondering if I need an increase in my thyroid medication. And I go, you know, we, we just did your labs. I'm looking at these. They look really good. I said, let's let's just rewind and go back to the basics real quick. Any chance that you started dropping your protein intake? Because that plays a role in day-to-day energy. And she goes, you know what? You nailed it. I did. I, I started traveling. I got busy. I got away from doing my shake. I got away from making my dinner. And two weeks later, she writes back to me. She goes, I'm fine. Energy is back up. I'm good. I increased my protein. You were 100% right. So it wasn't more meds. It wasn't more thyroid. It wasn't another supplement. It wasn't another hormone. She just had to increase her protein intake to get that energy up through the day again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a big issue. You know, I have a, a, a little bit of a specialty in osteoporosis. Actually, I guess it's a big specialty in osteoporosis. And I will say across the board, pretty much all my osteoporosis patients have been under eating protein for a long time. And not only do they have a lack of muscle mass, but they have a lack of, you know, appropriate protein to actually build muscle and and bone, right? So we, we even need proteins and those amino acids to stimulate bone growth in, in your bone tissue, your trabecular bone. And so I, I do think it's a big problem. But you know what was interesting to me, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk the dark side for a moment. There's a bunch of studies out there that show increased protein intake increases insulin resistance and risk for type 2 diabetes. And they're truly out there. They're not small studies. They're large, huge population studies. And of course, you look at that and you go, well, pardon me, but what the hell is going on with that when we know protein is thermogenic, right? And we know that that protein helps build lean muscle mass and preserve lean muscle mass. And I think it's, you know, we talked on another show a little bit about the semaglutides and terzepatides and these drugs and what they really do. And I think there's a subset. And you and I have even talked about it before, I think, on your podcast, too. I think there's a subset, particularly of women in that 40 and up range that may have some dysregulation of some of their some of their satiation and and hunger hormones and their counterbalance hormones called incretins glucagon and ghrelin and things like that that are associated with protein intake that in those individuals they may need to for a short period of time reduce their protein intake while working very hard on insulin sensitivity at the same time. And a lot of this comes from my own experience. You know, like you and I have talked, I spent most of my late 20s and early middle 30s around the bodybuilding community and living that lifestyle. You know, I had a protein shake in one hand, a bag of, you know, a bag of, you know, hard boiled eggs in the other, you know, cold ass chicken breast with an oatmeal, like a little tiny, tiny, tiny sliver, you know, oatmeal. You know, I just, I lived on that. And I, 
pretty much that was my one target I had to hit was my protein intake every day. And at the time, it worked very well for me. But as I got through my late 30s and really into those 40s where I really hit that perimenopausal wall, it seemed like all of those things really radically changed, even though I hadn't changed a lot about what I had been doing. My stress level was definitely different, but you know, it's, it's, so I think there are times that for a short therapeutic window, a tiny therapeutic window, we may have to re reduce, but put back in. Do you find that? Have you found that with some people? They're like, man, I've been doing the high protein and nothing's happening. Oh, definitely. And usually that's a function of their gut. Maybe they need some digestive enzymes to better break down the amino acids, to break down the protein. And then that helps with better assimilation. If there's a celiac situation going on, I had a patient that he had, he was, he was very thin. He couldn't put on muscle mass. He had a, a book of tests from Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and all these specialists. And I noticed amino acids were all low. And he was taking in large amounts of protein and it didn't make sense. His body structure, the lack of muscle mass didn't even make sense. And sure enough, the one thing they didn't test for was celiac. He had celiac and thus there we go. There was not the proper absorption and assimilation of the amino acids and the protein that he was taking in. Once we got that fixed, heal his gut, remove the gluten. Okay, all of a sudden. And then there's just protein cycling that I, I tend to do naturally because you're going to have some days where you're like, give me that steak. And by the way, throw on a burger. And I had, you know, a huge omelet for breakfast and a protein shake. And there's going to be other days where you're, listen, you're busy. I get it. If that happens once in a while and your protein intake drops, okay, then you're doing natural protein cycling. And that can even help with the assimilation and the absorption of protein. Absolutely. If we go back to those big old studies and we go, okay, so what is it that could possibly be going on? So glucagon is, is a hormone that is elicited by the pancreas to tell your liver, go produce glucose. And it is heavily stimulated by animal proteins in particular. So this, interestingly enough, doesn't seem to be as stimulated by some of your vegetarian forms of protein. And it's because a lot of our amino acids like glutamine, arginine, cysteine, are all glucogenic, meaning that they easily get made into glucose by the liver. And actually leucine and lysine are the only ones that cannot be, right? Basically every other amino acid. So here's what I think is going on. And again, this is, you know, another one of Betty's theories after digging around <laughs> in the research for five years is that I think in some people, this mechanism gets broken, right? So talking about like semaglutide and its effect on glucagon and the fact that it reduces glucagon. So all of a sudden people start to lose weight because glucagon becomes resistant and in dysregulated at the same degree as insulin resistance and excess glucagon production can drive insulin resistance. So I think in some people, you know, we may have to do that. And maybe that's what we're seeing in those studies. Because if you go up head to head against a net, let's say a nutrition researcher, they're going to pull that study out and go, uh-uh, it leads to obesity and weight gain and diabetes because we see this in the studies. And I'm like, yeah, but you're looking at people who eat a standard American diet with a ton of carbohydrates, a ton of fat at once and protein, right? And of course, they're eating like a pizza or a burger. So their total caloric intake is high. Their intake of every macro is high, but protein is high relative to the other two. I don't know. I mean, that's, I think some of that is going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I also want to get into the, the real stats that tend to blow me away when I look at them. And it's kind of like, oh, once you start hearing this, it, you really start to take it to heart. 
that we lose 1% of our muscle mass every single year after the age of 40. So 1% doesn't seem like that much, but when you figure that once you hit the age of 55 and you are 15% less muscle, that is significant because just like we talked about, muscle is metabolically active. And we're, we're actually seeing, once we dig into the studies, we're seeing an, an increase in a variety of different diseases. We're seeing impaired immune function. We're seeing hypercholesterol. I, I can never say that word. Hypercholesterolemia, obesity, hypertension. I mean, all of these diseases of aging coming on much more rapidly as that sarcopenia, that loss of muscle mass occurs. Now, of course, there are other things like if you have to go through chemotherapy, various, you know, kidney disease, that that's all going to affect our protein intake and our ability to maintain muscle mass. But it just in the general population, we'll say the general healthy population, we're losing muscle every single year. And the only way to truly combat that in addition to lifting heavy, which Betty and I both tell you to do, not the little baby weights, the real lifting heavy weights, and then sleeping, getting adequate sleep, like all those lifestyle factors that you can absolutely do, getting in adequate amounts of protein, and we'll talk numbers here in a second, literally is going to prevent aging. It's going to prevent aging. Now, my number that I go by, and Betty can chime in here too, you know, I've seen the 0.8 grams per kilogram and all that crap. Let's make it simple. Let's do one gram per pound of lean body mass. So what I mean by that is if you are 125 pounds and you're good, you're like, I'm at an adequate weight. This is cool. Okay. You can rock 115 to 125 grams of protein per day and you'll be solid. That'll be an amazing amount for you. Maybe if you are a vegan or vegetarian, I'm going to say you're going to have to shoot for the higher end. I would actually go a little bit above 125 just to get in more protein because the protein that you're calculating as a vegan or vegetarian is actually not completely bioavailable. But the average person, one gram per pound of lean body mass. If you're 180 pounds and you're looking to lose weight still and you're carrying around an extra 30, 40 pounds of body weight, then you're going to go by that, that targeted weight where you know your happy weight is, maybe it's 140. Okay, then that's 140 grams of protein per day. Keep it really nice and simple so you're not doing a bunch of math. So Betty, what do you use in terms of calculations? I would say so, you know, yes, I would agree with kind of all of those things. I would say the thing that I watch for, because again, I'm, I'm working with the weight loss resistant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, they're yeah. doing it all the right. So in the beginning, we might go much lower for a couple of weeks while we force everything. So once everything gets back, so I would agree with those. And then I definitely look like you sort of latched onto this, like somebody's sleep, somebody's stress, because if I'm taking in those proteins and I've got the stress response going, my cortisol is up, I'm going to happen is our body's going to take some of those proteins and make glucose out of it through gluconeogenesis. That's a major driver. And I think, I think that's the primary driver for all the protein people like myself that I'm like, shit, I'm eating the protein and I haven't seen a carb in years and I can't lose weight. Yeah. Like if that's what's going on, that's probably it, you know? So I think targeting that lean muscle mass and, and going at least, you know, if I'm a 125 pound person, you know, ideally I've got a hundred pounds of lean muscle mass. That's my low target, right? That's my low target. I don't drop below, you know, because at 
that point, I will. And, you know, the other thing that I think was interesting, and I'm, you and I have talked about the study, and I, I meant to pull it up, and I completely forgot to do it. But there was a couple studies looking at muscle protein synthesis and timing of that protein and how we eat. Because I don't know about you. I want to let you talk about it. But I know back in the day, I was told to trickle in protein. So I had like 20 grams of protein in my shake. Then I had a couple of boiled eggs. A couple hours later, I had three ounces of chicken or two ounces of chicken. I remember trickling it in constantly, right? And that did probably help me feel satiated and keep my, you know, keep my blood glucose somewhat balanced probably through gluconeogenesis, honestly, honestly. But um, but that's not what the research shows when we get a little bit past 40, which I think is super important. And I had to change what I do with everybody. So I want you to share that because that's super important. Yeah, there's so much we could talk about here. So first of all, we have to dispel that myth of eating every two hours to keep your metabolism up. That's what you and I learned back in the bodybuilding days. And the problem with that is if you are dealing with an insulin resistant individual, like you see in your clinic, maybe eating every two hours isn't the best thing because whether it's strictly protein, like you said, with gluconeogenesis or whether it's a protein and carbohydrate meal, you're, you're simulating that, that secretion of insulin. So you never give the person that time where insulin levels can come back down and the body can actually tap into its fat stores for fuel. So I'm not a huge fan of eating every couple hours to have that that protein drip coming in, unless you are a lean individual. If you're a lean individual and weight is not an issue, then yes, absolutely go ahead and, and put that protein in every couple of hours. If you're a lean individual looking to put on body mass, then yes, protein intake every couple of hours along with the other macronutrients. But most of us live in the, let's say, four-ish meals per day. Probably one of them is a snack, where that's where you have to focus on the quantity in that meal. Now, there's a lot of information going on out there. There's, I would say, factual and some unfactual, some myths in that we can't absorb past a certain amount. So remember that from our days, you can't eat more than 35 grams of protein per meal or you won't absorb it. Well, there's really no data to support that. Now, if we use common sense, probably taking in 50 to 60 grams of protein in one sitting, you're not going to utilize all of that. You are going to push some of that over into glucose. You might get about 40 to 45 grams out of that utilized. So going too high, probably not a good idea, but I don't necessarily believe and and the data does not support that the body can only assimilate 35 grams per meal. But I think that that is 35 to 40 is a really nice target, especially to give that to women. So they have that in their mind and they, they don't stop at the Greek yogurt. The two, oh, I had two eggs for breakfast. Okay, yeah, that's 12 grams of protein, right? You have to kind of have that target. And if you shoot for that 35 to 40 grams per meal, and those are your three squares of the day, and then maybe a snack comes in, you're doing a Paleo Valley beef stick, you know, you're getting in like 12 grams of protein there, you're doing a quick protein shake with 20 grams. Okay, cool. That's your fourth serving a little bit less than but that you're getting in a little bit more protein. I think that's the way to go. And the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to you is the whole intermittent fasting thing. I really like to describe as much 
benefit as there is to intermittent fasting. If you want to throw in, you know, a 16, eight and 18, six, whatever, once a week, just to get the autophagy, the benefits, that's fine. But if you do that every day, there is no way in hell that you are going to get in the protein intake that you need, the protein grams that you need for that day. You just can't. You're going to be too full. Your eating window is too short. So while I don't think that you have to do multiple, multiple, multiple meals per day, I think you know three to four is good spread out throughout the day. I, I think the intermittent fasting thing really has to be looked at in the female population. Oh man, I'm yeah, I so agree with that. I, I love different forms of fasting, but I think the most important part is there's time restricted feeding, which we depends on what the outcome is that we're looking on. And then intermittent is the important word in that. Because all of us spent, let's let's face it, ladies, if you're over the age of 45, you spent the 80s and the early 90s skipping meals and drinking coffee as your form of diet. Just don't even bullshit us. We know because I used to do it. I'd get up and I'd down a black coffee and I'd be like, man, I'm not hungry. And I'd go hours, right? I was stupid. I was in my 20s, you know, really was bodybuilding that sort of pulled me out of that habit, you know. But what was interesting is there's a couple studies that have come out real recently. There was one in 2022 and there was one in 2021 looking at the anabolic resistance of muscle protein turnover, particularly in older people, and reduced capacity of muscle protein synthesis as we age. So this one was a game changer for me, right? So when we're young, when we're, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20, you have a fair amount of growth hormone and you're still growing, right? So that good regulation of growth hormone and the fact that you're still growing means that your body has a very strong impetus for muscle protein synthesis, which is taking the carbohydrates, I mean, and, and, and particularly those amino acids that have been mobilized from what you ate and bringing them to the muscle to rebuild muscle, particularly if you have done something where there's athletic activity where you used it. So that works really great. Well, these two studies that were done in, you know, the last basically year and a half, two years, really, really show for the first time that when we age, especially you hit that 50, 60 range, there's a there's a process called first pass metabolism. So amino acids do not only help us make muscle, but they are involved in liver detoxification, they help make enzymes. So everything in your body is made out of a building block of these proteins broken down into amino acids. Well, what they found was, is that a 55 year old has a completely impaired capacity to utilize protein appropriately for muscle protein synthesis, the building of muscles, if you trickle it in throughout the day. When a 20 or 30 year old can do that just fine. And so, you know, and so what they really found, and they've repeated the study and looked at it, is that what you do at the first part of the day and what you do at the last part of the day need to be a pretty substantial chunk of proteins, right? Now, you could evenly spread that out by breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but they need to be above that 30 mark. That 30 mark is not enough, that it needed to be substantial or otherwise your liver was going to use it for other stuff. What I think is happening in those that are eating protein and can't lose weight is I think that first pass metabolism is glucagon. I think they are getting a rise in glucose production by the liver. And we see that and that drives the insulin resistance. Like if you've got a continuous glucose monitor and you see these kind of weird glucose blips, that very well maybe some of it is your body actually making it despite the fact that you had carbohydrates and proteins. So what the take home message was from those studies was as you age, 
You got to put a big chunk in that breakfast and a big chunk in that dinner. So I tell people you shoot for the high side, that 45. So that means you're doing a protein shake and an omelet and turkey bacon. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're stacking, right? Because I want, especially if you just went to the gym and you just did a weight training exercise, I want you to synthesize muscle. You got to. And you're right. If somebody's doing an 18 hour fast every day or 16 hour fast every day, it is almost impossible to eat that amount of protein. I've always been a proponent of alternate day or 5 2 fasting because the studies show prolonged protracted fasting raises insulin resistance, raises leptin resistance, raises cortisol, which is going to raise glucagon in women. Period. End of sentence. Heavy stop. Yes, if you have been metabolically sound your entire life, you probably won't have that same effect. But if you have been overweight, your body is primed for that message, primed for that message. So I had to rearrange everything I do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Rearrange it. I think that that's huge. That that is big, huge information. And especially when when you just gave us that example of the meal, I guarantee you women ever were like, oh, I could never eat all of that. Well, get used to it. Try it. Add it in, add it in slowly because you will get used to, just like you get used to drinking more water when you're only drinking 40 ounces a day and we tell you to drink 100 ounces a day, you're eventually, your body is going to get used to, your body will get used to taking in more protein in one sitting And as we heard from Betty, it's going to do nothing but benefit you and benefit your entire body. So I think, I think that's the mic drop right there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. know, For me, I was like, dang, I'm going to have to go back. Like I have to go rewrite a bunch of things like, Hey, and I, you know, put out a blog post. I was like, I am wrong. I am so very wrong. And based on the research I see today, here's the new instructions, people, you're going to have to get it in there and, and get it, you know, and get it up you know, and get that protein level up in those meetings, but in those, in those meals, but I think it's easily doable. And again, I think like, I, you know, looking back, so to give a story to it, because I think sometimes people learn in stories, Mm -hmm. you know, I hit 40 and like I said, it was like some sort some major hormone shift shifted. And I literally over the course of like a year gained 35 pounds that took me damn near a decade to get off. You know, and I was eating protein and all that other stuff, lifting, but my stress was bad. My, my sleep was worse and all those other things. And I think, you know, looking back on it, it, there was some very simple stuff. So maybe I needed to go to three meals a day and push the protein into larger meals. I definitely needed to work on my sleep and my stress level. And, you know, I probably needed to, at that time to cut back my exercise. So I was probably over exercising because that was my stress relief, right? That was my way of making it through the day because all that was doing was raising my cortisol. Um, and, you know, maybe those things would have helped it. I, you know, I had to go through kind of my own sort of resetting. But, but I think there's just so many women you and I talk to that they're so frustrated because they swear they're doing all the right things. They are in light of the studies that they have probably heard about that are probably 15 years behind what's really happening. And they just haven't been given the right information for where they are in their space and time, you know, and they've got thyroid issues and all these other things on top of it that is just compounding it. Right. Well, this has been awesome. I mean, I really hope that people take this to heart, take it home, start implementing this because it can, it can make a huge difference in how you look, feel, and perform on a daily basis. Again, from, from energy, from weight loss. I mean, you've heard stories, you've heard our anecdotal evidence, you've heard real scientific evidence. You just got to do it. You just got to implement it. Yep. Yep. And if you're struggling and you feel like you're eating all the right protein and 
that's not working, then it's probably a start looking at these other hormones, the glucagon and other things that may be completely dysregulated. Definitely. So, definitely. Oh my gosh, this has been so awesome. Awesome again, buddy. Thank you once again.